Well, good morning, everybody. Happy, happy Mother's Day. Um, thank you so much for all the hard work that you do that uh, so often goes, goes unnoticed. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, we're continuing in our series uh, that we call On Mission. So we've been kind of journeying through this the past almost two months now. Um, two, two words that I just feel are prophetic words for our church as we move forward into this year is on mission. And um, I was thinking about it this week as I was preparing, and I think sometimes there's a reality that when we say words like on mission or we talk about you know, that we're living on mission, uh, it can feel a bit like a large shift from where we currently find ourselves. Um, like for some of you here right now, you're like, I'm just trying to survive um, in the season that I'm in. Um, so living on mission feels like a bit of a stretch. Like uh, I'm just trying to just keep going and um, I'm lucky I'm here, that I'm upright, that I'm moving forward. Um, and so I want to, this is kind of the, the, the message today is a bit of a, of a prodding message, a bit of a challenging message, and really where like the rubber meets the road um, for the Christian life. And um, if we drill down and kind of simplify what we've been talking about the past couple months of living on mission, the reality is, is that every single one of us has areas in our lives that God is calling us to be more self-disciplined in. Whenever you say the word like self-discipline, people go crazy. They love it. I see all the hankies waving. You guys are very excited. Habits, rhythms, routines, self-discipline, self-control. Like we love that stuff, don't we? Churches, I mean, you, you grow a church real quick talking about self-discipline, man. People love it. Um, many times when we talk about being self-disciplined, um, it's like spiritual stuff, things that, are, that we would consider spiritual. Like, I know, I know, I know, I know. I need to pray more. I need to get into my word more. I need to, you know, join a life group or God's been calling me to lead a life group or join a ministry or whatever this looks like. I, I, need to, I know that I need to be more diligent and strategic about witnessing to my, to my neighbors, to my coworkers. I get it. I know, I know, I know. Spiritual stuff. And then, and then there's things that we would consider not spiritual, really, um, that we also have to work out with self-control and self-discipline. And those are things like getting out of debt or needing to not just get out of debt, I need to start saving money, um, need to lose some weight, I need to exercise, I need to work on, on our marriage, I need to be more intentional as a parent, and all of these things that like, we would consider non-spiritual. But I think the important thing is that God doesn't necessarily see a difference. He doesn't have categories of, of your life of where, okay, this is sacred and these are secular, or these are spiritual and these are, are not spiritual. He kind of just sees you and your life and calls us to live with self-discipline in, in areas of our life. And every single one of us is in a different place. So, so this message is going to offend all of you differently um, as, as, as you just receive the Word of God and allow it to just kind of wash over you like a fresh shower. Um, so the problem is this, that so often we have goals and they don't materialize. Be, like days, weeks, months, even years go by and we feel like we're no closer to the goal than we were a few days ago, a few weeks ago, a few years ago. The Apostle Paul wrote um, 
There's a, there's a portion of Scripture in Romans chapter 7 that I think when we, when we hear it, you've, you've heard it before, and it's like, man, Paul gets me. He understands what it's like to struggle. Let me read it to you. He puts it so eloquently. He says, Romans 7 verse 15, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And then he goes on in verse 18. He says, for I know that good does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what's good, amen, but I cannot carry it out. I, I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, that I keep on doing. Um, Paul kind of says it beautifully, eloquently, a whole lot better than I could. Um, the kind of the human condition, we, that we are consistently inconsistent. Um, we're always in this place of like, man, I, I don't know why I don't do the things I want to do and I keep doing the things I hate. Like these, the title of my message today is this, make it a habit. Um, habits are some of the most underwhelming and yet some of the most significant parts of our lives, habits. Um, I think of like Mother's Day, like many times as growing up with, with raising children, my kids are a little bit older now, but like I, we clearly remember, Katie and I were talking about it last night, like when the kids were young and, and you're just like trying to sleep and not, not, not lose your mind, right? Like where you feel like you're always doing the same thing, which is like feed them, wipe their butt and try to get them to sleep, right? Like, and then hit repeat. It's every day. Like, it's like the same thing. You're just like, oh my gosh, they're always hungry. They're always pooping and they always need sleep. Or maybe it's just me. I need sleep, right? So you're just literally, you're in the grind. And if you're a young parent, you're in that place. You're like, hallelujah, I see that hanky. Like you're, or is that a diaper? Like you're literally like, you're in that place where some of the greatest things that like, I feel like even my wife did when we were raising our kids was to create habits, routines, schedules, and then to keep us on that habit, that routine and that schedule to avoid meltdowns. And that's just from me, <laughs> let alone to avoid meltdowns for, for our kids. Like habits are incredibly powerful things because when you do something as a habit, you don't realize that you're doing it. You're not thinking about doing a habit. That's the thing about habits. It's not intentional. It's, sometimes it's literally unconscious. You just kind of start doing this thing, and this is the thing that we do, and we do it every day, every week, every year, every month. We don't think about it. We just, we just do it. And for those of you who have a bad habit in here, you know this all too well, how hard it is to break a habit, how powerful a habit is. So, for instance, I have struggled for years, decades, with biting my fingernails. Like, do I want to bite my fingernails? Heck no. I hate it. I think it's disgusting. I think it's neurotic. I think it's compulsive. <laughs> but I do it. I do it. And I can't stand it when I see you do it. When people are there like knuckles deep, you know, sucking on their fingers as they're peeling. Like, it's disgusting, right? So do I want to do it? No. But yet I find myself, or yet my wife finds me. And she's always, stop eating yourself. I'm like, I am I'm literally eating myself. Like, I, I find myself doing the very thing that I don't want to do. And the thing that I do want to do, which is stop doing it, I, I just can't seem to do it. Like, I've had seasons and times where I've been successful and yet continually struggle doing the very thing that I hate. And um, 
I'm not thinking about it. I just find myself doing it. That's the power of a bad habit. But what if a good habit is just as powerful? What if a good habit is just as powerful? Um, Nobody tends to get over, overly excited about rhythms and routines and habits and disciplines and all that kind of stuff, but I would like to submit to you today that, that the power of a good habit is very biblical, very biblical. There's a scripture, you may not have normally seen it this way, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach a little differently, but it's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. In the New King James Version, it says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and a love, and a sound mind. Now, we love the power and love part. Like, yes, absolutely. Pastor Tom did an amazing job preaching last week about love, that we need to be loving the oppressed, that, that love demands action. Yes, we have been given, not a spirit of fear, but of power, but of, but of love and, and power. Yes, we need to be leading on the leading of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives as Christians. But what is up with that third one? Like power and love, cool. But a sound mind? Like, like I guess, I mean, you've been, I've been given a sound mind. Okay. I mean, cool, 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 cool. I, but, like, but, 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 but like why? What? I mean, I guess I want that. I don't want an unsound mind. That would make me sound like I want to be crazy, right? Like, I don't want to be insane. So, yes, please, sound mind all the more. That would be great. But, but that word sound mind can also be translated as discipline or self-control. And I would argue that that last part could probably be paraphrased as this, that God has given you a self-disciplined mind, that you have been given to the power of the Holy Spirit, not, not a spirit of fear, but of a, a mind on mission. The, the power of the Holy Spirit has given you the ability to tell yourself what to do and to do it. To say, sin, you're not the boss of me. Um, essentially, what Paul is telling Timothy here is, it, honestly, it's, it's groundbreaking and it's pretty much upstream from from what we would hear in our culture, and it's upstream from what your flesh wants to tell you. Um, Paul's telling Timothy that you've not only been given the Holy Spirit to operate in power, and you've not only been given the Holy Spirit to operate in love, you have actually been given the gift of the Holy Spirit to operate with a mind on mission, with a sound mind, with self-discipline, that the Holy Spirit that is in you empowers you to be self-disciplined. And as spirit-filled Christians, we, we kind of look at that. It's like habits, discipline. It kind of, it doesn't really feel like you're being very spirit-led, Pastor Justin. Like I'm kind of like, you know, whatever the spirit leads me at any given moment, you know, like. But, but if we take Paul at his word that we are, we are not operating then if we are not operating in self-discipline, then we may not be as spirit-led as we think we are. Because he says you've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Because let's not forget the fruit of the Spirit. Love. We like that. Joy. Yes, more. Please. Peace. Hallelujah. 
patience, need more of that. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And the ninth one is what? Self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Self-control, the Spirit-empowered ability to say no to yourself. So that you can say yes to something else. To say yes to what it is that God has for you. And this, I'm telling you, this flies in the face of your flesh. It flies in the face of our current culture that would tell you, you know what, you do you. If it feels good, do it. Live your truth. But self-control is actually one of the areas of the spirit-filled life that I believe we really need to be tapping into. And to live on mission, you've got to grasp what it looks like to have spirit-led self-control. Because everything in life is connected. Like I said earlier, like God doesn't see like sac secular and sacred. He sees just life in general. In other words, it's kind of hard to say no to pornography when you can't say no to a snack. Like he doesn't see anything separated about those things. He just looks at it and says, this is an area of your life that I'm calling you to wa start walking in self-control, to start walking in self-discipline, to start having consistent habit in. Um, and I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm just literally saying God loves habits. If he didn't love habits, then, then the sun wouldn't rise and fall every single 24 hours. Like the seasons wouldn't change every year. He wouldn't have, have told us that every seven days to take a Sabbath every week. He wouldn't tell us, take the first 10%, the, the first fruits of all of the sweat of our brow and to be giving that and and giving that over to the Lord. Like consistent habits, regular rhythms set you up for success. John Maxwell, um, he knows a thing or two about leadership, said this. I love this quote. Successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. Whew. Successful people do consistently what other people do do occasionally. And that is true in almost any area of life. Whatever we do consistently, we will become more successful in than when we do it occasionally. It happens in eating right. People make fun of me all the time in, in the office because um, just this past week, I was like, all right, I got to start, I got to start eating right. And they always know when Pastor Justin starts wanting to eat right because he brings in lettuce and chicken. <laughs> and they're like, oh, he's on his lettuce and chicken kick. It's pretty much every day, all day, lunch is a Caesar, chicken Caesar salad, and, and that's it. And they're like, okay, here we go. Can I just tell you this? It, it, I can come and I can eat lettuce and chicken, and then I can go home and eat a half gallon of ice cream. Do you know that that cancels it out? I, who knew? I was like, oh, I'm really trying. I'm really trying. Because successful people do consistently what most people do occasionally. You can't just go and eat lettuce and chicken for lunch and then eat a half gallon of ice cream for dinner and think, oh, yeah, I'm consistent. Consistently inconsistent. Amen. You can do it when it comes to like learning um, uh, an instrument. If you want to learn an instrument, you've got to do it consistently. You've got to practice consistently because you're never going to learn an instrument if you do it just occasionally. 
Saving for retirement, they say, if you're an investment planner, you know this to be true. Small, consistent deposits over a long period of time is the way to save for retirement. If you wait until you're you know, 60 years of age and then say, ah, I need to start putting some money into my, into my account, it doesn't work. Why? Because of compound interest. Compound interest is true not just in saving money. Compound interest is true in, in life. Exercising. You do it once, man, you are sore. You do it many times, you get strong. That's kind of how this thing works. Like um, spiritual health, getting into the Word. Sometimes you're like, man, I just don't feel like it's doing anything. Consistent habits over time, you find yourself closer to the Lord. Consistent, small steps, habits. For almost any area of life, done consistently, lead up to big results over time. So I want to give you just three points today. The first one, um, and these are like uh, barriers that, help, that hinder us from living on mission. The first one is this. Focusing on the goal, but not having a plan to get there. One of the, one of the biggest hindrances to living on mission is focusing on the goal. I got a goal. I got a vision. I got, a, I got this, but not having a plan to get there. Achieving a goal is usually not a big giant leap, but rather a series of small steps, small changes, small deposits, small habits that aim you in a direction that you want to end up in. It, it's, it's the long haul. Usually, sometimes you're like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, one big decision just set me into my trajectory of my life. The reality is many, many times it's just small decisions done over a long period of time that get you to the place where you want to end up. <clears throat> the big goal, without having a plan to get there, is paralyzing. Because you're like, man, I, I got this big goal. I got this big view, big plan. I, I just don't even know how to get to it, though. I'm not spending any time working on the plan because I'm in it. I'm trying to just figure it out as I go. Um, we use this, this scripture, pastors use it all the time for Vision Sundays and stuff, and it's Habakkuk 2.2. I think it's really interesting. It says this, Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. Notice that it isn't enough to just have a goal in mind. That's the first thing. Yeah, have a vision. Have a goal. Where do you want to go? What do you want to do with your life? Where are you headed? What do you want to look like in 10 years? What kind of person, uh, what kind of person are you wanting to, to become as you lead into this next, this next area of your life? Like, what is that going to look like? It's not just enough to have a vision of it. He says, write it down, make it plain. And once you've simplified it, once, you've, once you have that thing on paper, now... Now you won't just walk towards it. Now you can run towards it. And I, I think that's odd a little bit how it says that he may run who reads it. Like if you watch kids, little kids, they run everywhere, don't they? You just wait here. Like after service, you just hang out. Just kind of stay seated for a little bit. Just watch because it gets overrun with kids in here. And they are running everywhere. They're hopping over things. I love it. I absolutely love it. They're running all over the place because little kids run everywhere. If, we're, if I had a little kid up here, I'm like, all right, we're going to go out that door right here. I would start walking. The kid would run as fast as they can and run to that door like it's a race every single time. What's interesting to me is this, that a child has all the time of their life in front of them, and yet they run as if they only have today. And it changes some. I don't know, I don't know quite when. It changes when we get older. 
And the reality is, is that like the time in front of us actually gets shorter. And yet we find very few things to run towards. And we act like we have all the time in the world and find ourselves just stymied, stuck, not willing to move forward, overwhelmed with the process. A kid has all the time in the world, runs like they only have today. We have shortened time, and we act like we have all the time in the world. It, something shifts or changes in us, and um, I, I, just, I just find it interesting that like, the opposite happens, and I think it's because as we get older, the stakes get higher. So rather than running across a room just to get to the other side, like a chicken getting across the road, um, we're now wondering, like, what am I going to do with my life? What do I want to achieve? Who do I want to become? Like, what, what am I investing my life into? And it isn't necessarily that we don't have a vision for our life, a dream, an image of what it is that we want to become. Like, if it was as easy as running across a room, we would do it. But it's not. As we grow older, we get to this place of like, we now have to have a plan on how to get to where we want because it's not across the room. We're building a life. We're building a marriage. We're building a family. We're building a career. We're building a legacy. So how do I, how do I get there requires a plan. And running across the room, man, wouldn't it be awesome if that's what it looked like? Because most times as we build a plan to get to the vision that we want to end up in, it will cause us to have to start consistently walking in a direction where we were, where we were just wandering before. To take steps in a direction that we want to end up where we want to end up, you're going to have to stop walking and wandering where you currently are. Like your vision doesn't determine success. That's the, that's the interesting part of Habakkuk 2.2. The vision doesn't determine success. Your habits do. Writing it down, making it plain so that you can't not just walk towards it, you can run towards it. It's not just what you think, it's what you do. May we be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Albert Einstein has this definition of insanity. I kind of trust it because he's smart. He says, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results is the definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Kind of true. And so the question to wrestle with, that, with, this, with this first barrier to living on mission is, what habits are you introducing into your life that will get you the results that you want to achieve? What habits are you introducing into your life that will get you the results that you want to achieve? The second barrier to living on mission is expecting overnight success. This is a tough one because we love microwaves. We love fast food. We love the ability to be able to just get something right now. The buy now button on Amazon is so tempting, right? I mean, many times, yeah, I don't, I, I'm probably speaking for the majority of people in here when it comes to your birthday or Mother's Day and everyone's like, what, what should we get you? You don't need anything because you already bought it. 
right? What do you want for Christmas? I don't know. I already bought everything that I wanted. That's what God made Amazon, right? And so like we got boxes coming in. And so when it gets to the point of, I don't know what to get the person who has everything, that's the reality for most of us, all of us, because we have this immediate gratification culture where I just want to be an overnight success. I don't want to have to study and work hard and go to school and do all of these things. I just want to have what my parents have, but they worked 30 years for, I want it now at 16, Right? I want to be able to move. I want to be able to have that. I, I don't understand what the holdup is. And your parents are sitting there like, you think we're overnight successes? You worked 30 years to be an overnight success. So you put in those times. And one of the barriers to living on mission is expecting that like, you're going you're gonna to be an overnight success. Have you ever tried to like, make a change in your life in, like for a day or two, right? That's usually how we make changes. And then, and then we get frustrated that the change that we made doesn't result in lasting change. Like, I mean, I, I just don't understand. Like, I, I tried to do the thing and it didn't, didn't turn into anything. Um, Katie and I have this, have this joke when, um, whenever we're trying to like do good and like eat well, we'll be like, hey babe, um, I don't know if you noticed, but I, uh, I dabbed some of the grease off of my pizza with a napkin today. So if you see me looking skinny tomorrow, don't be surprised, right? <laughs> but what we realize is this, that, like the truth is that, that lasting progress is always an accumulation of small deposits over time. If you think that dabbing the, the, the grease off of your pizza one day is going to result in losing 20 pounds, you're, you're sorely mistaken, right? It's small deposits over time, over time. Other than self-control, we, we went through like the, the fruit of the Spirit. One of the other fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. Faithfulness. Do you realize that you don't know if you're faithful or not until you've been tempted to be unfaithful. Faithfulness shows itself when it's tested. When you've, when you've had a temptation to be unfaithful and you choose to walk in faithfulness, whether that's in marriage, whether that's in your relationship with God, whatever that looks like, like we don't really know until we've been tempted to be unfaithful because faithfulness comes at a cost. It's usually not fun. Faithfulness is small deposits over time in a consistent direction so that you get to the place where you want to end up. It's self-control in a direction. That's faithfulness. Faithfulness is oftentimes saying no to what you want in the moment so that you can say yes to that which God has already given you. It's choosing to say, yes, lettuce and chicken again. Lettuce and chicken again. And just continually walking in faithfulness is self-control walking in the same direction over a long period of time. It's small deposits over the long haul. And God has not called you to success without faithfulness. So many times, and I would even say in ministry, we see, we see pastors rise and fall. We see leaders rise and fall. Is it because we've been craving success, however you want to define that, whether that's butts and seats or a bigger microphone or bigger stage, whatever that looks like, without faithfulness, without self-control in a long-term direction of honoring God with every part of your life? God has not called you to be successful without being faithful. Faithfulness is not, is, is not always um, that which brings you happiness. Sometimes it's just hard work, but it's so worth it. Sometimes it's just hard. 
And in a world that craves instant results where we have microwaves and fast food and, and diet fads and there's a pill for everything and if it isn't fast, it isn't worth it, then we're tempted to try a habit to, for a day, for a week, and we get frustrated that it doesn't have an immediate difference. And so we try to read our Bible for a day or a week and you don't feel any holier. You ever been there? You're like, I'm doing this thing. I did the 21 thing. Thanks for the linger book, right? And it's like it didn't change my life, Pastor Justin. Like, thought I was going to be like holy now, going to like deem me a saint or something. I, I thought I was, I did it for 21 days and I didn't, it didn't, it didn't completely revolutionize my life. I, I thought that that's what the, the, the back of the book said was going to happen. Like, we could try to not eat sugar for a few days and only end up grouchy, Right? <laughs> You ever been there where, like, you got your spouse or your friend there? They're like, oh, I'm on a no-sugar diet. It's like, please eat some sugar. You are, you are just really grouchy and miserable. Like, please eat the sugar, right? Like, we get to this place where we try to do things. We try, you know, praying for our spouse every day for a week, and they're still ungrateful, right? They haven't changed a bit, right? You're just like, man, I've been praying for my spouse every day, and, and, and he's still the same. Nothing's changed. This isn't working because this is what ends up happening. We try something, a habit, a routine, a schedule, whatever this looks like, a spiritual discipline. We try adding it into our life. And we, when it doesn't end up in an immediate success, then we, we jump to the conclusion that small good decisions don't really matter. Small habits really, they don't really matter. And in the same way, we can also jump to the same conclusion in the opposite way, that some small bad decisions really don't make much difference, really. I've, I've eaten an entire bag of Cheez-Its one night, the whole box, because I'm not a quitter. I ate the whole thing. I sat down. I didn't plan on sitting down eating the whole thing. It was just, it was a gift, right? And so I just want, I ate a whole box of Cheez-Its one time. And then the next morning, I went and I stood on the scale. And do you know something? Miracle of all miracles, I did not gain a pound. I thought to myself, I should write a book. The Cheez-It diet, right? I bet I could sell a ton. You guys would be like, any Cheez-It? The toasted ones too? Yes, you can eat all Cheez-Its, not gain any pounds. Why? Because I had an experience where I made a small bad decision and it didn't result in gaining any weight. It must be true. This must be how life works. And so we, we, we think, well, like I could make a small little decision, a not good decision. Like, okay, so like next week, you could just skip church. Nobody probably will even text you. Hey, you know that passive-aggressive missed you text? Missed you at church today, right? Like, you, you might not even get that. You could skip church and nobody might even not, not even notice. You could this week not even, not read your Bible or pray at all. And you know what? Your spiritual life probably won't take a complete down-the-toilet turn. Probably. You can float date night with your spouse and it probably won't result in divorce. In fact, you probably saved yourself $100. That's good stewardship, right? Sweetie, you're welcome. I'm such a good steward of our money, man. Your wife will thank you, right? You just... And we can end up making the equal and opposite wrongful conclusion that small bad decisions really don't matter that much. 
and we end up missing the truth that is actually impacting our lives in massive ways. And is this, that small decisions have huge results over time. That our life is a cumulative sum of all of the small decisions that we make every day. They all matter and they all add up over time. And we very rarely screw up our life with one major life decision. And you'd be like, no, I, I beg to differ. And that's fine. But for the most part, we very rarely have one decision that literally ruined our life. It's usually the culmination of small decisions, cheat here, steal here, compromise there, stop paying attention over here, um, just give up there, quit caring here. And all of a sudden we get to the place where we're like, man, I just, how in the world did I get here? But we really know that it took 20 years to get here. And small, accumulative effect of small decisions over time. And in the same way, you can look at someone who you would deem successful and you can think, well, it must be nice to be an overnight success. You can look at somebody, maybe they own their own business, maybe they've, you know, I don't know, they have a successful marriage and you just made, must be must be nice. Must be nice <laughs> to be an overnight success. We can think it, maybe you do, right? Like the problem with that thought is that you never saw the self-discipline done consistently that added up to the big results. That nobody ever saw the time that you had to give up and the hours that you worked late at night to be able to get to the place where your business is today. Like nobody else saw the time that you spent on your knees in prayer for your kids. Like nobody else saw the time that, that you spent working and counseling and going and working on your marriage. Like nobody else saw the hard times. Nobody else saw your faithfulness when you wanted to just quit and walk away. Nobody else saw your failures that you had to crawl out of. Well, it must be nice to be an overnight success to which every person that is in that position would say, yeah, it took 20 years to become an overnight success. Because true life is a cumulative effect of small decisions over time. Matthew chapter 6 Jesus um, talks about three things, and you can read it later, but he really hits on three spiritual habits, three disciplines of the spiritual life, which are um, giving, prayer, and fasting. Giving, prayer, and fasting. And he, and he hits on each one of those in Matthew chapter 6. And for each one of giving, prayer, and fasting, he has the same reminder about each of one of those habits. It's literally word for word the same, and it's verse 4, verse 6, and verse 18. He says this phrase. I'll read it for you. Your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. When it comes to giving, when it comes to prayer, when it comes to fasting, your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Can I remind you, church? He sees. And in many ways, you're walking in the blessing of what you did in secret that nobody saw. And it wasn't for everyone to see. But many times we see and we look at what uh, on the outward appearance, the blessings that somebody is walking in, not realizing 
that nobody just walks into those blessings without something behind them that most likely was done in the secret place. May we be a people of the secret place, not people who seek after the stage, right? It's this reminder that it is usually the things that no one else sees that, that bring results that everyone else wants. May we never forget that. Let me read it to you again. It is usually the things that no one else sees that brings results that everyone else wants. One small decision, one consistent habit over time. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good. For the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. When you are faithful in your planting season, you will be more invested in your harvest season. But you've got to plant when it's time to plant so that you can harvest when it's time to harvest. It makes, when you're in, when you're in planting season, when you're, in, when you're just tilling the soil and working the soil and trying to plant, if you stand back just wishing that you weren't in this season, wishing you were in harvest season, let me just tell you, when harvest season comes, you'll be harvesting a whole bunch of weeds. It won't be anything that you planted. Why? Because you didn't plant in the secret. It's the things that no one else sees that bring the results that everyone else wants. And so the question for this one is this. What faithful habits are you putting in your planting season so that you will reap the harvest that you're hoping for? The third one is this, and I'll leave you with this. The last barrier to living on mission is this, settling for a distortion of our identities. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, Satan is called the accuser or the accuser of the brethren, right? One of Satan's greatest tactics is to take behavior and identity and tie them together. And so he'll whisper accusations to you like this, you failed because you're a failure. You are what you've done. You lied because you are a liar. And when we believe that we are what the accuser tells us that we are, then we will create a narrative about ourselves. Well, you just, yeah, I'm just not a details person, so you can't ever expect me to follow through. I'm, I have an addictive personality, so don't expect anything different. I'm just not good with money, so I can't live on a budget. That's just impossible for me. My last marriage failed, and so I'm just never going to commit to anyone in my entire life. Like, and, and so Satan literally will buy you a ticket to the tilt-a-whirl. And you're like, go ahead, go for a run on that. And the thing about the tilt-a-whirl is it has the feeling of moving forward, but you're just going in circles. That, that's kind of the, the, the essence of the tilt-a-whirl. And Satan's just like, yeah, just keep buying you tickets. Man, he is gladly buying, handing out free tickets to the tilt-a-whirl. Just keep riding it. Just keep riding it. The only way off of it is to throw up or get off. <laughs> or both. Right? Or get off, then throw up. And be like, I'm all out. I'm done with this. But it's this whole idea that when we settle for a distortion of our identity, we will continually be riding the tilt-a-whirl. Or Satan tempts us to do the thing that we don't want to do. And then we do that thing that we don't want to do, and he tells us that we are that which we didn't want to do. He ties behavior with identity and says, you are not just, you're a bad person, you're evil. 
Um, the good, the, God always starts with identity first, and then, then he moves into behavior. Have you ever wondered why God just is so quick to save people? Like, he was way too quick to save some of you, I'm going to be honest. Like, I mean, you, you could admit it. You'd be like, yeah, he was a little quick on it, a little hasty. Oh, hasty on saving me, right? You walked in, man, you were like maybe even a little bit like drunk from the night before and you're kind of like, God, just like you meet Jesus for the first time, you encounter him and his presence comes and you're just like, whoa. And for the first time, you just realize that he's been here all along and you are awakened to this reality. The creator of the universe wants a relationship with you and you're just like, I'd like that. And he just comes in and saves you. And everyone's like, hmm, wow, that was quick. He doesn't wait for you to behave well before he saves you. In fact, he sees things completely opposite. He doesn't look and say, well, you need to do this so that you can be that. He says, no, I call you this, and out of that new identity, you create new habits. You create new ways of living. You act differently because of what he says that you are. The behaviors are always significant, but our identity is the thing that he drives into us, and it affects our behavior He's continually telling you, you are a child of God. You are a son or daughter. You are no longer a slave. You are more than a conqueror. You are the righteousness of Christ. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You are my child. You have been brought into the family. You have been given a seat at the table. You are more than this. He always starts with who you are. And, and what you do flows out of your identity. It works both ways, folks. It works both ways. It all depends on who you're listening to. A great question to ask yourself is this. If I were already who I'm wanting to become, what would I be doing? If I was already at the goal, what would I be doing along the way to get there? Oh, I just want to, I want to get married. Okay, well, what am I doing to become the person who I'm looking for is looking for. Why don't you stand with me? Hmm. I want to read this scripture one more time that I started with in the very, very beginning and I'm going to come full circle. Um, Romans chapter 7 says, Paul says, I, I do not understand what I do. <laughs> for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I know that good does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, like I want to do it, I got good intentions, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. It's kind of a mind meld twist, right? And we read it and we're like, yeah, preach it, man, preach it, Paul. Yeah, you get it. Like, you understand me, Paul. Yes, this is the human condition. You get it. Absolutely, I completely agree. Some of you are like, man, that was the best scripture. Hallelujah. Romans 7, verse 24, he keeps going and he goes on. He says, what a wretched man I am. He says, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? I'm like, yeah, wow, I'm getting heavy, but good job. I mean, yeah, you get it. Yeah, the struggle is real. Get it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then I realized, hold on a second. Hold on, hold on. Paul's not really sympathizing with me. He's setting me up. 
Like, you may think, like, oh, yeah, yeah, Paul, you preach it, man. That, yeah, you get it. You understand what it's like to be human. I'm only human, baby. I can only do, you know, what I can do. I can't do more than I that. He's not sympathizing with you. He's setting you up. Let me read it for you. Verse 25, Romans 7. Who can, he says, who, who can rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Verse 25, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. He sets you up with a very clear question that has a very clear answer. And the answer is Jesus Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Who can deliver me from this body that is subject to death? Jesus Christ. Who can transform me? Jesus Christ. Who can give me um, a sound mind? Jesus Christ. Who can cause me to have the ability to say no to myself and to say yes to Jesus Christ? Who, who can rescue me? Jesus Christ. Who gives me self-control and self-discipline? Jesus Christ. He goes on in Romans 12, same guy, same book. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is beautiful miracle, to be honest with you. When we come to Jesus, and it's Christ in us, the hope of glory, means that like you are not the same that you once were. Like, you're not without hope. You, you have been given a, a new identity, and a new identity creates new habits. A new identity creates new rhythms, new routines, new mindsets. A new identity transforms our mind so that we're not conformed to the pattern of this world, but that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. You are not a mistake. You are not hopeless. You are not alone. You are a child of the Most High King. You are adopted. You are loved beyond measure. You are placed into a family. You have been given a seat at the table. You have been given gifts of the Holy Spirit to bless other people with. And if that's true, then Paul is encouraging you to live out of that identity. That we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers, doers of the word. Amen? We end in worship with this last song we're going we're gonna to sing. Here's what I would love. If you would just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me about today? What are you speaking to me about? And some of you already know. Some of you have just been like, yeah, he's been speaking to me all service. And maybe there's areas of bad habits that he's wanting to break in your life. And it's time for you to just finally come to the point of surrender and say, Jesus, I, I, I keep doing the things I don't want to do and that which I don't want to do, I keep doing. Like, I, I don't want to do that anymore. I give that over to you. I ask that you would transform my mind. Give me a sound mind, the power of the Holy Spirit to say no to myself of self-discipline and self-control. For the others of you in here, there's going to be a, a point where God's saying, this is an area of your life I want to, I want to bring self-control and self-discipline into. I want you to start walking in small steps of obedience and faithfulness in the direction because I've got a plan bigger than subsisting. I've got a plan bigger than surviving. And so Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us. Speak to each of us, Lord. 
your will, your desire, your vision over our lives. Lord, help us begin to set plans and purposes into our hearts and lives so that we can begin to walk towards that so that as days, weeks, months, years go by, that we're continually moving from faith to faith, growing in you, Jesus. Have your way in us. Speak to your people as we sing. Let's worship together.